Welcome to Think Like a Dog podcast, where we explore dog behavior and psychology-based training to help your dog achieve their full potential. Welcome back to Think Like a Dog podcast, and today we're here with Easton, and we're going to talk about reactivity. Reactivity is such a wide subject because it's rarely ever very clear what caused the dog's reactivity and why your dog is being reactive. As the owner of a reactive dog, it took me a while to really figure out what was causing that reactive response that was coming from my dog in different situations. And when I first experienced that reactivity, I thought it was something completely different than what it actually was. And I only narrow it down to the actual cause of the reactivity after I started working with Mirror Image Canine. Working with a qualified trainer can provide such guidance on the behavior modification techniques that is specific to your dog's needs. So although we do discuss many different ways that you can help your dog work through that reactivity, we always recommend working specifically with a trainer. You can schedule a virtual consultation with Mirror Image Canine and talk to them about what you're going through, and they can provide guidance in that aspect as well. So to start off today's podcast, we are going to go and dive deeper into reactivity. Can you guys tell me what kinds of reactivity do you usually deal with when you're working with clients? Okay, so I think the biggest or I guess the most common types of reactivity that we see or that come into the center, you know, need training, human reactivity, dog reactivity, leash reactivity, which um, is a little bit different than, I mean, is very different than dog reactivity, but um, is kind of a little bit different just about, you know, I wouldn't even call it reactivity uh, sometimes. Uh, And then resource guarding, which I know we did an episode about, um, but that resource guarding can also be kind of under the umbrella of human reactivity or dog reactivity, depending on the motivation behind it. Um, I think, you know, regardless of what type of reactivity we are working with, the big thing that we focus on is the motivation behind it. What's fueling that? Probably most common I would see uh, is a relationship issue uh, between handler and dog. Um, so that's a big thing we usually hit on, uh, during the session is to kind of change the way that the dog views you. So then your dog can change the, uh, the way that they view triggers. Mm -hmm. Um, but also I think dogs controlling the walk too. I see that a lot where, um, dog is either out in front at the end of the leash or constantly like switching sides, tripping up the owner, um, constantly going to sniff, constantly marking. Um, those are kind of some common themes that I see. Yeah, I think with dog reactivity too, when I explain, you know, that it is an issue or relationship-based issue, um, one of two things happens. One, when I take the leash, then the dog no longer yes. behaves yeah. like that. Or two, the dog does. Most of the time when the dog does behave like that, I feel like it's um, almost just this default behavior that the dog is just, I have to do this because I've practiced this pattern for so long. I have to do this. Um, and then over time it becomes less and less and less, and it still always is the most intense around the human. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the relationship is the biggest reason that we see any type of reactivity or any type of behavioral problem, I guess in general, Mm -hmm. because that's the type of training that we do is relationship based training. We look for what, 
what is making the dog believe that this is a necessary behavior, an accepted behavior, um, encouraged or whatever, right? Advised just in general. Um, and I think a lot of our dog reactive dogs, don't get me wrong, I, I do think we have dogs that are under socialized mm-hmm. or missed um, you know, the the really prime socialization period. I know we had um Aggie and Floki, mm-hmm. our two little puppies that came in. I posted a reel on them a long time ago. Well, like four months ago, maybe um, when they saw a dog, I think they were like two, I mean, maybe three or four months old and they freaked out. I had to call another trainer into that session because nobody could hear uh, each other talk because these dogs are just, I mean, blowing up in their four month old, four month old puppies. Floki's made a lot of progress. Aggie still struggles with the other dogs, but that's not a relationship based issue because she hadn't had them long enough. Mm-hmm. They were just not socialized mm-hmm. at all. Um, and then I think another big Thing that I see is a dog almost on defense mode uh, after, and that's rusty, I think, after a fight or after some sort of traumatic experience. I had a video consult yesterday where the dog had been attacked by a coyote and now had become dog reactive. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, uh, I, I would too. Yeah. So there are a lot of times where it's like there's an actual reason, but most of the time it is a dog who believes they have to make decisions and they don't feel good about making those decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which kind of leads into the difference between the two common types of dog reactivity is um, aggressive reactivity versus uh, fear of reactivity, which present themselves very differently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fear reactivity is something that the dog is believing that they have to do because it's to keep themselves safe. Um, Aggressive reactivity is normally, I, I look at that, I think we answered that in one of our question and answer episodes of, I very rarely call dogs aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's like a neurological thing. That's a dog who any dog that they see, they're going after no matter the situation, the environment, the person holding the leash, and they are going to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, most of the time we don't see those dogs almost ever. Um, it's just reactivity is normally a relationship-based issue and a dog believing that they have to do that thing. Yeah. And it's really helpful for as the owner to narrow down the specific issue, because a lot of times when you're dealing with reactivity, you think, you know, like when I thought about bubbles, I thought he was reactive to dogs Mm. at first, but that had nothing to do with it. That's a good point, because I think what was happening when. okay, there's a difference between reactivity and a correction. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, what Bubbles was doing was a very unbalanced correction. It was not a fair correction, but he was correcting an unbalanced energy within the pack. Um, He doesn't like high intensity. He goes after high intensity um, because he doesn't feel like, you know, anybody else is in control of that, which then goes back to a relationship-based issue. But there are plenty of times where, you know, we'll allow another dog to growl at another dog or, or even kind of, um, give a little bit of a nip to the other dog, obviously not in a crazy big way, but just as a way to say, Hey, back off, because we firmly believe that dogs are allowed to have feelings and say, Hey, this is my personal space. Please get out of it. Or, you know, I was chewing on this toy. Please don't take it out of my mouth while I'm chewing on it. So there's, there, there's a, a healthy way of communicating between dogs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I get clients that are like, oh my God, my older dog corrected my puppy and they growled and snapped at them. They're, they're being reactive. No, they're not. They're, they're communicating. So growling, snapping, all of that, given the situation, doesn't mean your dog's reactive. I look at it, and I've, we've had this conversation one trillion times because in day camp, this is sort of our job. You are the referee. Mm-hmm. So if 
you know, with Kemper and Brick, Brick is a puppy, Kemper is an adult dog. If um, Brick is just kind of laying near him and maybe gets up to go get a drink of water, this has never happened, but, and then Kemper starts growling, Kemper's at fault. I correct Kemper for that because that's not okay. But if Brick comes up and tries to lay on top of Kemper and Kemper growls and snaps at him, I correct Brick. I advocate for Kemper and I say, hey, get, you know, mm-hmm. Brick, get away from him. That's not reactivity. That's communication. Mm-hmm. And with, with like, um, this is probably a good time to mention, too, that we have a new Bastion's dog, Dennis, and he we joined have our four program. total now. <laughs> Just to let you guys know, as of today, we have four and they're all amazing dogs. They're all, um, you know, really learning and improving day by day health wise with um, also with training. So in all aspects, they're they're really improving. And Dennis, he, um, you know, he is a one and a half year old doodle very playful, very happy-go-lucky, just wants to run up to all the dogs. And it you can tell that he has, you know, he he's very sweet, but also wasn't socialized properly because he doesn't know what to do with himself when he's around other dogs. He doesn't know whether to growl or to jump on them or to run away from them or to be all over them. And Kane is, um, what, Kane and him, when they met, Dennis was trying to kind of, get on top of him or kind of like hit his paw on him and try to, you know, <laughs> hump him. And Kane would correct him, you know, he would just turn, Rightfully you so. know, go and growl at him a little bit and then walk away. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I would advocate for Kane mm-hmm. and get Dennis to get out of his space. Um, you know, so in a lot of ways, when we see our dogs correcting too, it, you miss the opportunity to advocate for your dog mm-hmm. that it's in the right. Which can create reactivity mm-hmm. yeah. there. I mean, the times where with bubbles, when Max was going crazy, trying to get the food, right. Or when Kane was doing zoomies around the yard, those are the two big fights that we've had. Those are the times where, you know, bubbles felt like he had to go that hard because there was this insane energy that nobody was correcting. So that's, um, to me, that's not reactivity. Now, I do think that the level that bubbles went, that bubbles took it to, absolutely, that's not a, a fair and balanced correction. Um, but then we have some dogs that, the I mean, we can be walking through a pack of dogs and the dog, the, the pack is not bothering them at all, and that dog is just popping off mm-hmm. at every single dog. That's reactivity. And so we're going to go into some of these questions in just a little bit, but. Now that we broke up the, the, you know, really the categories of reactivity and a little bit, went a little bit in depth with each one, if you were to tell a dog owner that walks into your center, their dog is reactive, what are the first questions that you're going to ask them about their daily routine with that dog? And what would be some quick tips that you would give them? I think it's maybe not the first question I ask because I try to ease into it, but always where the dog sleeps. Um, is the dog in bed with you? Um, do you use a crate? How do you use the crate? Um, and then, I mean, you get some pretty uh, obvious cues early on in a session with how uh, the owner is reacting to the dog as well. Like it, if the owner is constantly petting the dog, if the dog jumps on the owner and the owner responds by petting it, um, so I feel like those are some of the common like themes and uh, conversations that we get into with sessions about reactivity is just what the resource of the human space, um, how the dog is respecting and perceiving that. Yeah, absolutely. I've said it a million times already, but I can, I mean, 
the first five minutes of any session is the, I mean, that's the most important part for me. That's where I'm getting a lot of the information. Um, the first question I ask, I don't, I ask all of the questions that she just said, but the first question that I ask is normally what's your goal. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, and that's where I can kind of set the expectations because there are some people that walk in and let's say that their dog is human reactive. Um, and their goal is to, let's say they have a really active lifestyle or their previous dog used to go with them to the brewery every weekend. Um, and this dog is just trying to bite the waitress and things like that. Um, I really have to manage the human's expectations and make sure that we put the dog at the forefront of this because not every dog is going to enjoy going out to the brewery. Not every dog is going to have a good time going to the farmer's market. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Every dog should be able to in a healthy and safe way. Every dog should be able to go anywhere with you and rely on healthy coping mechanisms to get through whatever stressful event that they are in. But it's not up to us to decide whether or not they enjoy it. So that's where we have to go. Okay, that can be your goal and we can do that. But then we have to look at is the dog having a good time? Because if it's not, then we don't need to do that. And we do the same thing with day camp of mm -hmm. we should be able to do this, but up until the point of, okay, we know our dog is relying on healthy coping mechanisms, but your dog just doesn't enjoy being around that many, even 20, right? It's not like we have a pack of 60, but even 20 other dogs stop coming, right? We, I don't, it's not about the money for us. It's, I don't want to see your dog be miserable all day, regardless of the fact that they are using healthy coping mechanisms. That's always my first question is what's, what's the goal. Mm -hmm. So then that way we can kind of, everybody can be on the same page, including the dog. And what I love about you guys too, is that after our first session, you kind of send us like a guidance, um, book, you know, it just, I like that you called it a book because I worked very hard on it. Like I would have, if it were a book, it was, it was <laughs> just really a long email, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a guidance for us because you, uh, really broke it down into categories. You put a checklist there, you made it really easy. And, and the things that you've mentioned was furniture. What, what are their access to furniture? What are their access to your personal space? And how are you walking with them on the leash? Are you happy with that? And you really went down into these different categories. So if we're happy with, if, with them respecting our personal space, if we're happy with the way they're behaving and their coping mechanisms, and all of these things are checked, then we can start to add in some things to, you know, to, to the other part, like they can sit on the couch with us sometimes, or they can come and, and, you know, I can cuddle them a little bit, but you made sure that we were aware of, hey, make sure you can call them off the couch and they can stay in their place. Make sure that you are happy with their with their leash walking skills, that you guys can go in a structured walk together. Um, and you really, you know, went into depth about why that is and what that means for the dog. And a dog respecting your space, respecting your furniture, you know, being able to walk in a structured walk with them and you know, lead that walk and them trusting you to lead that walk, it really creates that relationship where you can take them out to places and they can create these healthy coping mechanisms. And so much so that with our new foster, Dennis, um, I was sitting down the other day and I didn't think about it. He sat on my feet and he kind of leaned his body against me. Again, I didn't pay attention to it because my head was all over the place. And my mom walked up to me and he growled at her. Mm. 
So at, right away, I'm like, see, that's why I have to be aware of the smallest things because in his head, he was already starting to guard me in a way. Yeah, you're and, having two different conversations. Well, he's yeah. having a conversation and you're also having a conversation with, you know, probably the human or you're thinking about something and your dog is um, doing something that uh, makes them feel very powerful in that moment. But yeah, I mean, it's, I look at my relationship with a dog as pretty much the same way I look at it as like with a new friend. You know, when I first became friends with Easton, I think it would have been really rude if she texted me every night at 1am and like, you know, or burst into my house saying, Hey, let's hang out or whatever. Right. But now a year and a half into our friendship, I think. Yeah. Is that how long? Congratulations. Thank you. Happy anniversary. Um, now, I mean, she's one of my best friends. So if she showed up at my house and just burst in the door, I'd be like, oh my God, hey, Stan, what's going on? You want to hang out? Like, what are you, what are you doing? This is fun. But that's after we have um, set the expectations for each other. We've gotten to know each other. I know what to expect from her. She knows what to expect from me. I, I tell people all the time that, you know, if you actually, you know, you're telling me that your dog is your best friend, you're telling me your dog is your baby, but there's a lot of things that you would not allow your best friend to do that you're allowing your dog to do. Um, and that would be weird if your best friend did like follow you around the house while you are, you know, trying to get ready or clean or, you know, bite your friends or bark, you know, bark at people (laughs) who got close to you, not allow Like that's an unhealthy friendship is, okay, you're my friend. You can't be friends with anybody else. There's a lot of dogs that do that. And then people go, oh, well, they love me. (laughs) Fine, but that's not a healthy relationship. So it's about setting the tone first, getting to know each other and then going from there. Yeah, and paying attention to the details and being aware and fully aware when you are with your dog about those smallest like body gestures and like their different choices that they make and where your head is at. Like, I feel like sometimes if I'm not paying attention, I can miss some things and it can just build up from there. Yeah. I told, um, I think I had this conversation with Jillian last, but when we're doing a training session, actually we all talked about it because uh, sometimes we'll all shadow each other's sessions. When I'm doing a session, especially with a reactive dog and I go to take the leash of the owner, my, primary conversation, or I'm sorry, go to take the leash of the dog. Most of the time, the owners don't come in with leashes. (laughs) Um, um, Most of the time when I go to take the leash of the dog, I stop, not that I stop talking to the owner, but it's that I am, my primary conversation and my focus is on what is going on between me and that dog. So am I putting pressure on the leash? Is the dog sitting on my foot? Is the dog um, sitting in front of me? Is the dog giving me eye contact? Is the dog giving me weird eye contact? Like, am I safe? You know, obviously with new dogs, you have to kind of think about that kind of stuff too. But it's so important that especially when you are around a new dog, that you are focused on what conversation you are having with them. Cause you're having a conversation regardless. Mm-hmm. You're very good at that though. Like you, you know, you are cause you will straight up ignore, unless you just hate me, but you just <laughs> straight up ignore me. Cause you'll be talking to the, like you'll be working with a dog and noticing every little thing with them. Yeah. But I think that's less of being good at it. Cause if I was good at it, I could do both at the same time. I can't do both at the same time. <laughs> that's why we talked about when you, like, okay. So when we shadow each other's sessions, um, they will just like shadow, like they'll just sit there. Yeah. Say Brandon's shadowing yeah. a session of mine. He's just, um, another person in the room listening and watching. I use them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Brandon, do quick place drills with this dog. So, cause I can't focus on two conversations at once. So normally I'll tell the client like, Hey, I'm sorry, let me just work this dog, you know, your dog through this thing because 
I have to be on it because especially in that first five minutes, because that's when they are learning the most about me. What will I accept? What are things that are not okay? Um, and like a, a kind of tangible tip would be if you walk into the center and you are there for reactivity or you walk in anywhere and you, your dog normally barks when people get close to you, make sure your dog is like next to you or kind of a little bit behind you. I have a rule of pause behind toes or at least pause behind heels, right? Depending on how reactive the dog is. So when I'm standing and talking to somebody and I'm facing them, I want my dog's front paws at least behind my toes. So I don't want them in front of me. I don't want them seated on me. I don't want them leaning on me. I don't want to be the thing that is fueling this reaction or making my dog feel powerful because in that moment, what my dog is saying is that I own this lady back off. And that's the opposite of what I want. That is true. I mean, if, if I'm, if I can give any dog owner advice coming from just a dog owner, I'm not a trainer. The, these tips make such a big difference because you can overlook some things. You can think, well, what's the big deal if he's a little bit in front of me? Or what's the big deal if he sits right here next to me and leans his body against me? Well, that's fueling that behavior. And when he comes, you know, like my mom came in and Dennis growled at her. I'm like, whoa, you know, where did that come from? But he was leaning right on me and I'm like petting him the whole time. So yeah. he's thinking awesome. You know, lady back off. I'm here. I don't want anybody to come near her. And if I kept letting him do it over and over again, and we were just brush, brushing it off, like, oh, he doesn't know you. Everything's so new to him. In two weeks, he would be a completely different dog. If I kept allowing yeah. this behavior from him over and over and just brushing it off yeah. and saying, maybe it's because it's a new house for him. Maybe it's because it's new people. You can absolutely say that, yeah. but that doesn't mean you don't address it. Yeah. Cause that is a, I mean, that's probably exactly what was happening with him of he's trying to gain things that or, or claim things so that he feels more powerful. That a common example that I give of that, of like when I first started my business, I bought so many dog training things on Amazon that I didn't need because I was so worried. Right. It was just uh, the more things that I owned, uh, the more things that I felt, ex you know, prepared for almost right mm -hmm. dogs in a new environment, especially insecure dogs, they are going to look for things to own. Mm -hmm. They are going to look to claim things because it makes them feel more suited to deal with a situation that they know that they're not suited for. Right. But absolutely. Dennis is going through this, this period of adjustment. He, that's going to be the time where it's going to be super important to look out for the little things. But it's, it, I'm not going to hang my hat on, oh, now the dog is dog reactive or now he's going to claim people the rest of his life. No, he's a little confused. He's overwhelmed. He has no idea what's going on. It's normal for him to do this, but we just address it. It doesn't mean anything about him. And we'll dive some in, into some of these questions too, because it's going to create more conversations and more specific topics that we can talk about. But this one here says... My Dane is reactive to humans. No clue where to start. He could care less about other animals. So human reactive only. I have okay. so too many questions. <laughs> okay. um, so why would a dog only be reactive to humans? And when a dog is around a human, how are you going to really, you know, correct that behavior? How are you, what are the precautionary measures you can take with a dog that's reactive to human? And I guess another question is too. Oh no, more questions. <laughs> well, I guess this is coming from my head at this point. If I had a dog that's reactive to just humans, couldn't care less about other animals, 
you know, I would love to know some precautionary measures and how to work a dog off humans. Yeah. Um, I actually think it's pretty common if a dog is only human reactive or if a dog is severely, let's say human reactive, it's normally, at least in my experience, really common for them to have great social skills with other dogs. Um, and the reason is, is that most of the time that reactivity is happening is because the dog does not understand the, the language of the human and that nobody is speaking to that dog in a way that makes sense to them. So dogs actually provide relief because they understand pressure and release. They back off when the dog is saying, you know, giving at least a, a maybe smaller cues that um, people aren't going to notice or respect of, hey, I need some space or whatever. It makes the dogs make sense to that dog. Humans do not. So my first goal with that and my goal with honest, I mean, with every single reactivity case that I ever work is not to get that dog to like humans. I do not need that dog to like humans. I need that dog to not bite humans. That's my first goal, right? Whether or not they like them is totally up to them. And that can be different based on the person that walks in the door. And it should be because it's just as big of a problem if the dog likes every human. I promise you that. Um, so I guess the first thing that I would do is see, okay, what are the experiences? I mean, my first question is always give me the examples. When has your dog been reactive? Is it when people come into the house? Is it um, only out uh, in the real world? Is it in the backyard? Is it where, you know, they have to get within a certain kind of um, uh, proximity of them for them to blow up or they can see somebody across a field and blow up? Um, that would be my first question. My second question would be, how, how have we practiced and like worked on, through this before? Like, what have you already tried to do? And then I'm going to go into the rules and boundaries in the house, um, you know, and then we're going to set up this sort of expectation of, okay, when the human walks in, let's say it is in the house, when the human walks in, that human has nothing to do with the dog. My first, I mean, my first goal is neutrality of that dog can go, okay, there's a human walking into my house. This normally has nothing to do with me, so I don't even have to freak out. Because there's no confrontation here. I can expect nothing to happen to me. Yeah, I feel like that goes back to the uh, the goal of the human too. Because I feel like a lot of times with dogs like that that are super sensitive to people and that kind of like psychological pressure. Um, with dogs like that, the goal is like, I want uh, everyone to pet him. I want like, he's a great day and I want people to, to pet him. But the dog doesn't want to be pet. Mm -mm. Um, and dogs like that, I feel like they need that. They need to be ignored. Yeah, absolutely. So they can feel good enough to exist around people before we can even think about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't know what that dog actually feels about humans yet, you know, because they've never been able to take a second to be like, okay, um, this isn't being forced on me. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I don't have to move this person away before they come into my space yeah. or, you know, I can trust my mom to advocate for me to look for little signs of I'm getting stressed out or whatever yeah. it is. And with dogs like that, people too, I feel like go even harder because they're like, no dogs love me and they want to move. They want to put yeah. more pressure on the dog and get more. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just Especially breeds like Danes yeah. for some reason. It's really hard for people to not believe that a Dane is uh, gonna love them, um, or l smaller dogs. That's where it's, I mean, I have this example of this little, I mean, she was like a chihuahua mix. Um, I mean, reactive, human reactive. She would take your heels off of you. <laughs> um, but I could walk a, uh, Bernie's mountain dog through, um, actually that's not a good example because people did pet her. I could walk a pit bull that had no human reactivity through Home Depot and people would not pet that dog. But I walked this Chihuahua through Home Depot and I have never been like 
scared for my life more times than I had in that one hour because I was constantly on the lookout of like, don't pet her. (laughs) She will bite you. But people think that they just have the right Mm -hmm. to do that for some breeds. But on the opposite end of that, then we have owners like Clooney uh, or, you know, Clooney's mom who thought, okay, my dog has practiced this for so long. I've given up on the idea that my dog will ever like humans. And now I don't believe my dog can actually ever be around humans or other dog, you know, or other dogs. And then, you know, I see people constantly switch from, they have to love humans and other dogs to, they just aren't trainable. And that's just two sides of the spectrum that we don't live there. We don't need to live there. It's right in the middle. And with this case, he's saying, you know, he has no clue where to start or what to do. And like you said, the questions that you asked, um, what is the relationship like in the house? Who's making all the decisions? Because when a dog can make all the decisions, that's when they're going to make the decision to disrespect that human, to get in their face, to go after them, to bite them. And when you give a dog direction, it just completely changes your whole relationship with that dog. I mean, like I said, I'm not a dog trainer, but the cues that you guys gave me about how to walk a dog, you know, the structured walk, put them in the lead, let them follow you. When I practice those first things, when I first meet a dog that comes into our rescue and I just start walking them and making them follow me and giving them pressure and release, after a day, they're like, they want to be just next to me. Like they look at me for information. They run to me when they're scared. Like they just, they know that I'm the one that's giving them that information. And I didn't say anything to them. I didn't say no. I didn't scream. I didn't, you know, try to teach them any new tricks. It was just pressure and release. This is what you're going to do. Create time. You know, here are the rules. And then they start kind of going, following my lead. Yeah. And a lot of times with, with owners where we don't realize how little information we're giving our dogs and we are allowing them to make all the decisions and, they are going to make the decision to not like a human and to react that way, you know? So if I was to tell one of my friends, like my dog is super reactive, like what do I do? I mean, start first, I would say with any reactivity case, it makes a world of a difference to just talk to a trainer one-on-one and give them like all the information because they're going to dig deep, especially with psychology-based trainers like you guys, you really dig deep into that problem. Like you said, There's so many more components to this, but if you're going to start somewhere, start with boundaries, start with structure and start taking away things from your dog that they generally have a lot of access to. That they feel responsible Mm -hmm. for. The only other thing, especially with a Great Dane, start with muzzle training. Mm -hmm. I mean, muzzle training opens up a whole new world for you and your dog. It does. I mean, even if your dog, even if you're like not sure if your dog is going to bite or not, or you're hoping that where you're going, you can control the proximity between them and the trigger and things like things will happen. You can't control the environment that your dog is in. You can control the safety or the risk level by muzzle training. So if I had a call from a person who's like, I can't, I don't, I don't feel like I am confident enough to hold my dog back if we walk in the center because I have a 160-pound Great Dane or whatever it is. Um, the first thing I'm going to say is they've got to come in on a muzzle. That's a rule that we have for the center of if your dog has a history of biting humans, they cannot walk into the center without a muzzle on because it's not only a safety risk to our staff, but it's also... I want you to feel confident. I want you to know that no matter what, you can walk in with this energy of nothing's going to happen. 
that's a huge thing for me. You do a lot of the muzzle training and talking people through it. What would be like your first way of starting out with muzzle training? Uh, just starting out in neutral, like at home in their most comfortable place, because if we're only going to use the muzzle when we're, when things are already stressful, then the dog, we're just setting the dog up to associate the muzzle with stress. Um, so I usually recommend starting off super, super small at home, just like putting it on, taking it off, putting it on, taking it off, um, and getting the dog just used to the feeling of it. Um, before we're actually asking the dog to do anything with the muzzle on. Yeah, that makes a big difference with bubbles, especially like he, when he goes to the center, he practices the muzzle when he takes a bath, when we're out in the yard, I put a muzzle on him sometimes and there's no reason he doesn't need it. But if we ever get to a point where he feels uncomfortable, he feels like he needs to be a little bit more you know, show his feelings a little bit more than we have the muzzle there because he's a strong dog mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be able to just make sure everything's perfect around him all the time. And he's never going to be in an uncomfortable position. He's never going to need to go to the vet and they're going to have to, you know, give him tons of shots or start an IV on him. Like we're going to, there's going to be times where he might not like those feelings and we're going to need a muzzle. And for him to just feel like the muzzle is completely neutral tool and doesn't mean anything it makes it, it makes his life a lot easier. Yeah. You know? The muzzle is your key. I can't do a lot with severely human reactive dogs unless we are muzzle trained. Mm -hmm. So yeah. even before you start setting up a session or, um, your plan is to walk in with your, you know, your great Dane or, you know, your Rottweiler or whatever, um, any powerful breed and you want me to fix the human reactivity, I'm going to need your dog muzzle trained. Yeah. Not just because of my own safety, but because I need you to feel confident. Yeah, and it gives you that confidence for sure. I mm -hmm. mean, once uh, once we introduce the muzzle to Bubbles, it makes me feel so confident knowing that I can walk him anywhere. There could be a dog that runs right at us, you know, off leash, whatever, and my dog's not going to be at fault because he's muzzled. He's not going to make any, you know, make it do any harm. Yeah because he's muzzled, he's next to me. And the muzzle training, like you guys said, you know, if you really put your mind to it and you start committing yourself to introducing that slowly at home, it makes a huge difference for your dog. And I wish so badly that we could like normalize muzzles a oh little bit. Gosh, more. I think the main reason why I still have Obi wear the muzzle at this point, mm -hmm. like on our walks, on pack walks, like the things that I'm taking him to, he doesn't need a muzzle, but I think it's Number one, a really good conversation piece. I have so many people that come up to me and they, they ask questions, which yeah. I think is like the coolest thing. Yeah. Or I hear little kids say something like, is that dog mean? And it like opens up the healthy com conversations. Yeah. 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 And it makes it where even if you do have an off-leash dog that is insanely rude to Obi, mm -hmm. even though that dog will be at fault because that dog is off-leash and Obi's on-leash, mm -hmm you don't put him in a position where he has to worry, yeah. right? I also think when I'm dealing with two dogs that are dog reactive or one dog that is dog reactive, I'm going to muzzle one of them because if in case there is a fight, I know which one to grab. Mm -hmm. I, like I can prioritize, especially if it's just me there. If I've got two dogs fighting and one of them is wearing a muzzle, I'm grabbing the one that isn't because that's the one that can do the damage. So it helps prioritize, um, you know, how to break up a dog fight, which can sometimes be a, you know, a huge, make a huge difference for, for your dog and your vet bill too. Mm -hmm. Now this question here um, says that they have a six-year-old Husky um, border, border collie that in the last two years has become reactive on her leash. Can you talk a little bit more about leash reactivity? 
Yeah, I think um, leash reactivity, I, you can see it sometimes be a symptom of overexcitement. I hear people say that a lot where they're like, they're friendly, but they freak out when they see other dogs on the walk because they want to go play with them. But I think it's important to to hit on that. That is still a reaction. That is still mm-hmm. reactivity, um, even if it's excited. Um, it's still a reaction to a trigger. Um, but I think, yeah, leash reactivity can be either like frustration because they can't get to the thing that they want to get to. It can, it's also a direct line from us. So again, back to the relationship thing, it uh, can depend on who's holding that leash. Um, and then depend, like if the dog doesn't understand pressure and release too, you're adding fuel to Mm -hmm. a big feeling by putting on a bunch of pressure on a leash. Um, also if they're wearing a harness, that's, you're like, (laughs) you're just creating recipe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, what, what you said of people saying the dog is friendly. Excitement is the precursor to a lot of the behavioral, behavioral problems that we see every single day. Mm -hmm. So excitement is the precursor to, um, a dog actually intending to bite. Excitement is the precursor to anxiety. I mean, it's the precursor, it's the thing that's creating the frustration. Mm -hmm. So it's the dog believing that whether or not they want to bite the other dog or they want to play with the other dog, they have, they are entitled to make that decision. And especially, you know, on the walk, I think that's going to be the episode right before this. I can't remember. But um, on the walk, that should be about you two, you and your dog or dogs. That's you guys building the bond. That's, I mean, you should be the most relevant thing to your dog because you're migrating through new territory together. So leash reactivity automatically, I think the biggest thing that I, I think and I know there is that not only does that dog feel like they have to make decisions in that moment, but they feel like... I mean, you aren't relevant, mm-hmm. right? So so there's not a big connection happening between the two of you. So you might be attached to your dog. Your dog might be attached to you, but there's not a connection. There's not a bond. Um, and there's not a trust kind of between mm-hmm. the two of you to be like, okay, just like I said before, I know what to expect of you. You know what to expect of me. This is my role here. This is my role here. Let's go take a nice walk together. Mm-hmm. Um, I used the example in a session on leash reactivity the other day of, if you and I went for a walk and every single time I start a conversation with you and you see another person, you run off and you go and start talking to them, you, like just strangers, or you start screaming at them, you would not be the best friend to me, right? Like I would either be a really boring person or you would be a really bad friend. So I, it all goes back to that whole thing of when I am walking a dog, I am looking at having a conversation with them and leash reactivity happens because I'm not saying anything of value when I'm on the walk. Make sure that you are saying something that matters to your dog. That's, that's productive to your dog and that is valuable to them when you are walking with them. Yeah. And that's how, you know, like using the pressure and release correctly, you guys, you always tell me when you're walking your dog, pay attention to the walk. Stay focused on the walk. Stop looking at your phone. Stop mm-hmm. listening to music. Or looking for triggers just mm-hmm. like your so, dog is. Yeah, stop yeah. tensing up and thinking something's going to pop up and you guys have to just run away from that. Like you really have to stay focused on that walk. How are you using the leash pressure? Are they walking in front of you too often? Are you? Do you have the leash in the right place? You know, And that makes all the difference because that's what that's the conversation that you guys yeah. are going to have together. Yeah. Be the energy you want your dog to be. So that's where the muzzle comes in. Mm-hmm. If you're noticing that you are hypervigilant as well, uh, cause you're worried about things popping up around the corner. Cause maybe your neighborhood is known for off leash dogs, muzzle your dog. That way you can relax, mm-hmm. but 
I mean, I tell people all the time, connect back. If you are asking your dog for a connection, connect back. But last thing, because we haven't covered this, leash reactivity does not equal dog reactivity. Mm-mm. Your dog can be leash reactive and then actually get along great with other dogs without the leash. The leash is there uh, causing the problem because the leash is representing this um, almost boundary and this kind of control. Yeah, yeah. Where the dog is like, I am expected to, or I expect to be able to either take care of this problem Mm -hmm. or play with this dog. Mm -hmm. The leash is the thing holding me back. So now I'm frustrated. Now I'm freaking out. Yeah. And the leash takes away the flight option too for dogs sometimes. So they get stuck and they're like, okay, fight it is then. Can't can't run, gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where it's like, we have to change what the leash means Mm -hmm. to the dog. We have to change what you mean to the dog. We have to change what the expectation is of both of you on the walk. Leash reactivity does not mean that your dog um, hates other dogs. Now they might bite them if all of a sudden the leash snaps, but most of the time dogs that are leash reactive actually have great social skills with other dogs. It's just, we have to make them okay with not being able to make that decision. Mm-hmm. All right. So we'll move into this other question. It's a little bit of a longer one cause she gives us more information. My adopted dog, Wendy of two years started to show extreme aggression to- towards my Chihuahua. They got along well for two years. Wendy would only have um, scruffles with our median dog, Lucy, but no issues with Chihuahua. One day, our Chihuahua found a treat in an open kennel, and Wendy also started to sniff. It led to a fight in the kennel. A couple days later, Wendy will again grab our Chihuahua for no reason that we could see, and this time it broke skin. The emergency vet said it wasn't an aggression bite, but a discipline bite. I thought maybe there was a change in our work schedule and that the daycare would be a good idea. The daycare owner already knew about her fights and she did meet with me beforehand and passed the temperament test and accepted her. She did perfectly fine. The day I picked her up from our daycare, she attacked our chihuahua, but with more aggression. And now we have to separate them completely. We are working with a trainer and hopefully a behaviorist soon. Any tips? I think it sounds like those two dogs were having a lot of conversations that were kind of going under the radar um, over resources um, specifically, it sounds like. But I I see this a lot with um, dogs in the same household once a scuffle happens. Um, if we don't step in and kind of change the way that they're interacting, uh, it just it gets worse and worse. They keep they build on it and build on it. Um, and those those scuffles just kind of increase over time. Yeah, that's what happened with Kane and Bubbles. Yeah, that's exactly what so happens. We, yeah, we have to change the way that they're interacting. Um, we have yeah. to dial back all of their resources um, and almost start to have those like encourage those conversations in a healthier and more neutral way. Um, so we're having those conversations with them and then in turn with, with each other. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying, which is absolutely true, but it's less about changing the way the two dogs are interacting and more about changing the way that you are interacting yeah. with your dogs. Yeah. Cause that's, what's going to change the interactions between them. Once again, they don't have to love each other. They, I mean, it's honestly once, I mean, you go back to those kind of scales of, uh, you, you're going to have just as many problems with two dogs who are obsessed with each other, mm-hmm. AKA littermate syndrome. Um, cause you have no relevancy and two dogs that absolutely hate each other. We want right in the middle. Um, so it's, it's absolutely about changing the way that you are interacting with the dog. Now, 
I wish when people would tell me that they couldn't see the reason that they would give me a description of what was happening, Mm -hmm. because just because you can't see it doesn't mean that there aren't little triggers Mm -hmm. that, I mean, obviously the dogs aren't doing that for no reason, unless we have like some sort of psychological, neurological issue going on, which happens sometimes when dogs get older, but it's, you know, I, I wish, I wonder, was one of them on the couch? Was one of them closer to the human? I mean, it can be as subtle as, I have a client one time that the dogs were fighting because one of the place boards, she, the, both dogs were on place, but then they would just pop off and go after each other. But one of the place boards, the dog that had consistently been, been claiming the human, his place board was closest to the human. Hers was away. And so he started growling when she would sit down because he was closer to the human. So it could be something as simple as that, or it could be that, you know, maybe there was just a weird conversation happening, a weird vibe or somebody had just eaten. I just wish I had more information, but I mean, I'm interested to know why the, um, vet said it was just a discipline bite, maybe because there wasn't a lot of damage done and it's a Husky and a Chihuahua. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I would look at boundaries, make sure everybody is on the same playing field. Mm -hmm. When I have housemates that are fighting, I crate both of those dogs at the same time. The crates are right next to each other. They both have the same rules in my house. Everything is the same. Nobody gets preferential treatment because I can't have a, I can't be fueling that. I can't agree with one of these Mm -hmm. sides because I'm going to continue on the, the issues. It's everybody is treated the same and has the same rules. Um, but a lot of times we start to almost create separate packs, right? Even if, because she said they can't be together anymore, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I after think it's two years. They important to how you handle those scuffles. So like if that first um, scuffle that happened, did uh, the big dog get put up and the other one got to stay out? Like, did you, those little conversations really do matter because we're also influencing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Influencing the relationships. Yeah. yeah. And I think when people start to like um, separate, which understandably, like if you are, if you're all home alone Mm -hmm. and you separate your dogs because you are worried that you're not going to be able to safely break up that fight by yourself. Fine. I I mean, that would be crazy if you didn't, but how you spend that time with them separately matters. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of clients that had, that came to me already having to crate and rotate because their dogs just don't get along. But then when the dog, when one dog is up and the other dog is out, they are smothering that dog with affection. They are smothering that dog with attention. There's no rules. There's no boundaries. There's no nothing. And the same goes when they put that dog up and let the other one out. So the time that you're spending with that dog separately isn't actually being, it's not helping your cause to get the dogs back together. If, and when you do that, you know, it's, it's, you are still fueling that fire of you can have anything you want and I make zero decisions for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, You own me. So then, if anything, when you put those two dogs, two dogs back together, they are going to even, I mean, more believe that, that you are somebody that is, uh, belongs to them. And then you've got two dogs who both believe that you belong to them. And so, because you've told them that. Yeah. We're creating competition. Right. Yeah. So how you spent, like, even if you do have to create and rotate, be teaching place, be teaching boundaries, be teaching like structure and following me on the walk and thresholds and all of that, because that is going to eventually help you put those two dogs back together. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. speaking of, if there's multiple people in the household, I would start taking those dogs on walks together. Yeah. 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 Not right together, but just moving together. And muzzle yeah. training. And yeah. that's, I mean, in that scenario, I'd only muzzle train the Husky because it's not like the Chihuahua was taken down the Husky, but um, muzzle training, mm-hmm. because especially when you've got a size different li- difference like that, mm-hmm. put one on a muzzle, 
the other ones, you know, the Chihuahua is not, but then the Chihuahua is not allowed in your lap. The Chihuahua, I mean, I'm not saying that that's what she's saying, but uh, it's a Chihuahua. So <laughs> uh, it's not allowed on the furniture. It's not allowed. I get this a lot with little dogs to perch on the back of the couch. Okay. Yeah. Elevation in the animal world is status. If I owned a little dog, even if I had a good relationship with them, they would never be allowed to perch on the back of my couch because then they are above me, right? And that's where a lot of claiming happens. So, I mean, everything has to be the same. Muzzling makes it better, um, makes you a little bit more confident, lowers the risk, but taking them on walks, getting them moving together into pack drive um, and learning that you are the one that is making decisions for them. Yeah, with with uh, all of our dogs that we um, we st- once we started training and just starting to walk with them like around the yard because our yard is completely fenced in. But I noticed that when I go too long without walking them because I might just be you know letting them out, our relationship starts to get a little bit different. Like they don't listen to me as well. They start to get a little bit more dis- making more decisions throughout the day. Like if I call them back, they don't come back. They can brush me off. So I have to go to them, bring the, the, the leash and bring them back in. And it just makes a big difference for you to walk with your dog, especially when you do it together. Because when, once we introduced the new foster dog, Dennis to the pack, I started, I did the walk with Max and him together and then I added on cinnamon and it really changed the behavior because at first I let them just meet each other off leash and it was fine, but I could see cinnamon get annoyed. I could see Max get annoyed. And then when we went on a walk together, it kind of set the tone. Mm-hmm. And then the other day we practiced place for 10 minutes, you know, and that changed the whole tone because they were kind of rowdy against with each other at first, like cinnamon was snapping at him and, Max was just trying to run away from him. And then once we practiced place, they got it. You know, Mm -hmm. like I can be calm and still be around each other. We don't have to be in each other's face. Dennis, the new dog, doesn't have to run after cinnamon all the time. You know, you have to practice calm to get calm. And it takes only a few minutes because I know we're super busy and everybody has their schedule and it can sound harder than it is. But once you set the tone with your dog for like 10, 15 minutes in that day and you get your, your multiple dogs and you start putting them on place the whole relationship changes and you can see that change throughout the day. Like they're calmer, they respect each other's face a little bit more. Yeah. I think what you said of like, it only takes 10 to 15 minutes and everyone's super busy. Yes. I I mean, everybody's busy, but most people are taking 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, to watch their dog run around the backyard, super excited. uh, And then wondering why their dogs are fighting when they come back inside or they are taking 10 to 15 minutes to play fetch and wondering why their dog is claiming the ball now uh, against the other dog. So it's how you spend the time that you already do with your dog. Um, But I mean, it's how you, if you're walking, you're both your dogs together. It's how are you walking them? So if we've got two dogs that are reacting to each other that live together, that walk isn't like a, for them to meet and play and have fun or whatever. It's, it doesn't matter what you think about the dog next to you. I'm walking, you're following, let's move together. This dog has nothing to do with you. I, I am the only thing that matters in this scenario. Yeah. And introducing the loop too. I mean, I, Walked Rusty past Poochie and Ozzy had Poochie, our little multi-poo, in his arms. And Rusty, we were walking around the yard and Rusty saw Poochie and obviously got like, what's that? I want to see what that is, you know, and try to like kind of lunge towards him. And I just like kept walking. I'm like, nope, we're not stopping. Mm -hmm. I'm not letting, giving you one opportunity to make a decision. I just walked and obviously was hard because he was trying to pull 
you know, so, but I didn't stop and try to pull him into me and then like, no, no, we just kept walking Mm -hmm. past that. And I did my best to just not stop walking. And then we walked past it and I put him in the crate after that. Mm -hmm. Like we, we made it to our destination and, you know, all was good. But it's with dog owners, we are not so wired in their behaviors day by day it's like it sometimes it's easy it's most of the time it's easier to watch them run in the yard than than to stop and like use your mind and like have to put a loop on them have to put a leash on them make sure they stay in place reinforce that body language like that seems like a lot of work but it where do you want your relationship to be choose your heart you got to choose your heart if we don't then you're just creating you know miscommunication and then your dog doesn't know what to ex- what you are expecting from them. They don't know what what they need to yeah. do, what decisions they are responsible for, and that's what you're gonna you're gonna pay for it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, sorry to your point, just because I keep thinking about this, how you end a fight matters. Mm-hmm. I know you said you know did the husky get put up and the chihuahua get you know get to stay out. Obviously, if you feel like there's punctures, you've got to check them mm-hmm. over each and you know separately. Let's say there's not punctures. Let's say there's a minimal amount of damage. There's nothing crazy that we've got to rush to the vet for. Then you do need, I mean, you put one up, you check one out, put that one up, check the other one out. And then now it's time to move on. Mm -hmm. Meaning you take both dogs out. You put them either both on place. You walk them together. You, you basically end that whole issue that they just had with, Whatever you guys think about the situation doesn't matter because your job is to check in with me mm-hmm. about what I think about the situation. So in that moment, your dogs are saying, I don't, um, it's not familiar for me to look to you for uh, an opinion on this because I'm just going to boom, go after another dog for it. Um, and that's where you need to start making that a, a lot more of a, a familiar thing that you do with them every single day, especially right after the fight. You're not mad at them. Don't yell at them. You're not upset. Um, if you need to, like yesterday, um, there was a bulldog at day camp and Brick got caught up in the leash and, um, he started screaming and Brick is my, my brand new puppy bulldog went after him. I got upset a little bit right afterwards, but in the moment, what happened is I pulled the bulldog off. Jillian pulled Brick off. Brick got checked over by Jillian. Everyone was fine. I handed the bulldog back to Jillian. She walked them both together. Everything was fine. And then I took a second after to be like, okay. I'm okay. Everything's okay. But it's, it's about making sure that your dog doesn't, uh, feel that in the moment. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you can't be human. I'm, I'm human too. That was my brand new puppy, but I made sure that everything was settled. And then I went upstairs and I took a second. That's what matters. Right. And you don't hold grudges against the other dog or one dog. Don't pick sides. Yeah. You can't live. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does make a big difference. Like the day that our dogs fought, you know, the first question, the first thing you told me is like, how are they? Are they, Mm -hmm. did they break any skin? Are they good? Do you need to go to the emergency vet? No. Okay, walk them. Yep. Walk them together. Just put them both in a leash and walk them. I'm like, what? No, the first thing that I said was, how are they? And then I said, how are you? And then you were like, I'm okay now. I was freaking out before, but I'm okay now. And I said, okay, walk them. Because if you would have said, I'm not okay, I would have said, leave them alone. Mm -hmm. Create them. You're not going to help them right now. Yeah. And it's your emotions really pass on to your dogs. Like, I try to remind myself to not talk when I'm inside of their room because we right now we have all their crates lined up. If one starts to bark, the other one starts. So we, I just try to remind myself, I'm like, let me not say anything. When I walk in there, no words, mm-hmm. just body language. 
you know, because sometimes it would just be a lot of barking and one of them is just bark, bark, bark nonstop. And mm-hmm. that kind of builds up depending on my day. I might get frustrated. And if I say something that they're not going to know what I'm saying, it's just going to create more of a stress it's on more me, more excitement yeah. on it's stress on them. We're not speaking the same language. They're getting rowdy. It, it doesn't make a difference for you to say things to your dog and build up your anger, build up your frustration. Use your body language. Put them in the crate. Give them a moment to decompress. Teach them coping mechanisms like you guys. And give yourself a moment. About. It's okay yeah. to get upset. It's okay to be like, okay, that really was tough for me. Yeah. But then come back at it when you're ready. Don't end on that moment. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be better to help your dog be better. Mm -hmm. So we always talk about that. Do you guys want to add anything else? No. No? Easton's going to say practice makes progress at the end of this. No. (laughs) You're wearing the shirt. There you go, Easton. (laughs) That's your job today. So thank you so much for joining us. And um, if you have any questions, feel free to email us. And also, if you enjoy the podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take a moment to write a review those mean the world to us and it helps us keep these podcasts coming so um don't forget practice makes progress (laughs) (laughs) make sure to follow us on instagram at think like a dog podcast and follow at mirror image canine for training tips if you have any questions please reach out to us via email at info at thinklikeadogpodcast.com